Alright, how many of you have a favorite carol, a favorite song? Let's hear a few of them. Silent Night? That's a good one. Any others? Mary, did you know? That's a very good one. Some more, that's a newer, more modern one. Yes, any others? Joy to the world. That's a very good one. Joy to the world. How many of you are familiar with Old Holy Night? <laughs> this this uh, month we're going to be looking at a lot of different songs, four different songs in Bogue. And the first one we're going to be looking at today is Old Holy Night. And we're going to look a little bit deeper and, and look at some of the history and exactly what our carols mean. And then some verses behind it, some actual scripture to back up what's being said. But O Holy Night is an interesting one. This was uh, written in the mid-1800s, originally as a poem. And it was Placide Chapeau. Everyone say Placide. Placide Chapeau. Chapeau. Alright, so he was a French wine merchant, and he was kind of known as a Hellion, which is interesting. So he, he wasn't even a believer, but he was a well-known poet in his ta town. He was a winemaker, and he wrote very, very, very good poems. So he was commissioned by a priest to write this particular poem. They wanted a Christmas poem, so this poem was written. And it wasn't until years later that it, it was music was accompanied with it, and the Catholic Church began playing it. Well, a few years into that, two or three years, it became such a popular song that it was all throughout the Catholic churches. They were all using this as Christmas time. Oh, Holy Night's a very good song. And so they were using it, and then they came to the realization that the man who had penned it wasn't Christian. So the Catholic Church tried to ban, tried to ban the song, but it didn't work. By that time, it had taken deep root. And the words were so strong and so pointed, even truth was spoken through it, so they still continue to use it. Another interesting fact is that in 1906, the very first radio broadcast was done by Reginald Fessenden, another funny name, Fessenden. He was a 33-year-old university professor, and he did what was thought to be impossible at that time. He did a scripture reading out of Luke, he played a song over a phonograph, and then he played O Holy Night with his violin and sang the last verse over the air for the very first time. So the first radio station had this song. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and in the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, was with the child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. It's an interesting reading when we read through that because we, we often get the idea of, of 
what we're looking at up here in front. I can pick it up for you. I don't know if everyone can see this. This very peaceful scene. And this is, this is very good. It's very nice. It's a, it's a decorative thing. It's not supposed to be actual. Because <laughs> I'm guessing that after labor, Mary didn't quite look like this. <laughs> and I'm sure Joseph wasn't feeling quite that well either. Uh, you women laugh because you know what it means to be in labor. And uh, usually the child doesn't have a full head of hair either. That's perfectly combed and rosy red sheets. But we have these romanticized versions of what the nativity looked like. And then when we look at scripture, they don't necessarily measure up. It doesn't look exactly the same. And, and I think this song pulls, O Holy Night, pulls a little bit towards that. It has some of the angst and it has some of the tension in it that really exists and did exist that night. Now, we, we often think of a major scene like that, or I'm sure maybe some of you have set them up and, and your house already, maybe they're on the dining room table. Maybe they're in front of the tree or out in your yard, there's some lovely ones. But when we think about it, having to have traveled that night and gone through all of that and then gone through the label, the labor that Mary went through without any painkillers. I only made a choice early on when we were married. She said when, when she gives birth, she's going to say yes to the epidural. <laughs> and I was disappointed because they didn't give me one. <laughs> okay, because I saw what it did with her. Like she was relaxed, she calmed down, and, and I'm pacing the floor every time. And it seems I get nervous with every child, more nervous, and she's pregnant right now, so I, I'm quite concerned that I may just pass out at some point during this next one. But that's the, the, the angst of, of the birth that we have now in a hospital room that's clean, that's pleasant, that's sterilized, where we have so much more knowledge of it in that if you can imagine giving birth where the animals are, without any painkillers, without any doctors, and them knowing, Mary and Joseph, that the, the, the being that they were birthing, the person that was coming into this world, was not an ordinary child, but it was the Son of God. I wonder sometimes if, if they, didn't, they didn't feel a bit guilty about having the Son of God being born with a cow right next to them. If they didn't feel that angst of, what does this mean? Why is this happening this way? This isn't how it's supposed to be. But when we look at the, the song a little bit closer, we see that there is hope and a weary world rejoices. Emily, if you can come up to the front, we're actually, if you stand up and join us in singing this song right now, we're going to sing it and then we'll continue on in our message. Really focus on the words this morning. And think about what they mean. <laughs>
tonight, we're looking back on it as history and realizing that there were people that were waiting for the Messiah to be born. That there were people waiting for the Savior of the world to be born. And there's a line in this there, it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And that kind of encaptures a lot of the feelings that, that we feel at different times. Yesterday I was very sick. I felt weary. How many of you have felt weary this week? That's just that, that feeling of, of pressure. That feeling of stress. And here it says, a, a thrill of hope that the weary world rejoices. Because of what? Because of Christ? Because of a new and glorious morning. Because there's something new that is happening. Because the Messiah is coming. And, and the very earth itself rejoices. We often, when we go through the story, we see how the angels came and spoke to the shepherds. and the, the wise men were traveling and they were told to go visit Jesus as well. And how all of these things were happening and there was... This excitement in the air. And you can think of that night and, and what the excitement must have been like to have Jesus Himself, God's Son, our Savior, come to earth. A weary world rejoices. If you ever want to be cheered up, you can go to Lamentations. Lamentations means to lament and it means sorrow, but within Lamentations we find joy and we find hope. That's an interesting thing. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20, it says, I well, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And this is after the fall of his nation. 586 B.C. When it all seemed lost, when it seemed like the world was full of weary, he wrote this. And he says he has hope because of the Lord's love for him. And he has hope because God's love is new every morning. His faithfulness is new every morning. How many of you occasionally see the sunrise? And I've heard the saying that, you know, God intended us to, to get up that early, the sun would be up before that. And uh, sometimes I feel like that, but even in my grumpiest state when I wake up and, and I go out and 
we can see the, the bit of the sunrise through the trees and the neighbors' homes in the kitchen area. And when I see the sun coming up, there's something about it that is glorious. There's something about it that's exciting and, and something that reminds you that today is a new day and it's fresh. And the scripture we just read talks about not only a new day and a sunrise, but a new day with Christ, a new day with Jesus. And that's even more exciting. There's three things a new day with Christ brings. And number one, it brings exactly what you need. So what do you need this morning? That's what the new day brings. Lamentations 3.24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. When we look at that word portion, a lot of the scholars think that it's speaking about manna. And manna was the bread that was given from heaven to the Israelites when they were struggling in the wilderness before they had their nation, before they had their land. And it was just enough for them to survive. In fact, they were given explicit directions about what to do with it. They were told what they were supposed to do with it, and they were never supposed to take more than what they needed for the day. Otherwise, what happened? Any biblical scholars out there? It molded and it rotted and it smelled really bad. The Lord is your portion. The Lord is your manna. The Lord will provide exactly what you need. And sometimes that's difficult for us because we want the extra, but we have to remember sometimes the extra makes us rot. But God will supply exactly what we need. What do you need today? Maybe you need help in your marriage. Maybe you need help in your body. Maybe you need just the strength to keep going, the encouragement to keep going today. Maybe you're hurting because of a loss. Maybe even the Christmas season is a difficult time for you because you remember better days. Whatever you're facing, whatever your need is, be it physical, mental, financial, whatever it is, God has promised to provide you with what you need. And a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. A new day with Christ also brings the hope to, to keep going. The hope to keep going. The thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. It's exciting. The thrill of hope. Do we really get it? Say thrill of hope. Thrill of hope. You ever have that feeling where something just shoots up your spine and raises up all the hairs on your arm? Yeah. That's the thrill of hope. That's a thrill of hope that God has given us. A weary world rejoices because Jesus has come to earth. Because Jesus is here and can save us. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him. That gives us a purpose too, doesn't it? If, if we're missing hope, if we don't have the hope that we're supposed to have, we need to check this verse and see if we're doing what it tells us to do. Are we placing our hope in Him? Are we placing our hope in something else? Or are we placing it in Him? If we're placing our hope in Jesus, then we're seeking Him, and He's delivering on that hope. 
There's a saying that you can live 40 days without food. I don't think I could. <laughs> I can barely live four hours without food. But you can live 40 days without food, up to eight without water. You can live four minutes without oxygen. You can only live a few seconds without hope. Hope is what keeps us going. Hope is what empowers us. Hope is, hope is that it, it's supposed to be in Jesus Christ. That's where our real hope is. Now, a few years ago, there was a political campaign, and it was said, hope. That was the big thing. And it worked. Because people want hope. People want to know it's going to be okay. People want to know it's going to get better. They want to have hope. But we know hope cannot be found in anyone but Christ. Amen? Amen. Hope is not found in anyone but Jesus. It's not found in your bank account. It's not found in your possessions. It's not found in the relationships with your loved ones because even if they're faithful to you, it will not last forever, and neither will you. But there is one thing that lasts forever, and it's the hope that we can find in Christ. It's the hope that keeps us going. We need to let, to let go of our fears and hold on to hope. <coughs> Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Who promised? Your mailman. Your next door neighbor promise. How many of you have accidentally, I'm going to give you that, accidentally broke a promise? Do you know who never breaks their promise? If he said he's going to do it, he does it. There's no excuses and there's nothing that comes up. He never gets sick. He doesn't ever sleep in. He always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's the hope that we have that the rest of the world does not have. There is a big, weary world out there, and it is going to be weary without Jesus. Until they find Jesus, they will continue to be weary. Jesus has come down to earth and He has offered us the gift of salvation, but until we accept it, we're stuck in weariness. And even after we accept it, sometimes we forget where our true hope lies. And that's in Jesus. We need to let go of our fears and hold on to our hope. So a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. It brings the hope to keep going. And it brings the help you're seeking. How many of you need help? <laughs> Some of you Richard were like, well, no. And we have this, sometimes we have this feeling as you know, in our American culture, we're very independent, we're very uh, productive, and we want to be able to be self-sufficient because there's something to that. But the truth is, we all need help. We all need help. Some of us need more help than others. I'll be my first great my hand. I need more help than others. Yeah. But we need help. One of my favorite prayers, and some of you have heard it before, is very simple. And it's, Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, help me. Because I need it. And it's, it's a very honest prayer. Because I'm insufficient 
to do what I'm called to do because I'm insufficient to live the way I'm supposed to live. And that's okay, though. Because God has set me to supply all my needs. Because God is the one that brings me hope. And then because it's God who is helping me. Lamentations 3.26 says, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I believe that's something that we can do even after we're saved. Because there's different types of salvation that we experience. There's the salvation that we experience when we first come to Christ, and that's the ultimate salvation where the angels rejoice in heaven, where there's a party thrown, and where our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and, and we become part of the family of God, and we become children of God. That's an exciting salvation. That's the salvation we'll be celebrating in a few minutes with the baptism, that salvation of coming to Christ. But there's also the salvation that can occur when we're needy. When we need that help. When we don't feel like we can continue. And God shows up and delivers and does what we can't do. The salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we get so worked up over the situation we're in. We're so filled with, with doubt and fear and Anxiety that we forget that we're supposed to bring our cares to the Lord. We're supposed to pray to Him. And then when we pray to Him and we wait patiently and quietly, sometimes that's a difficult part. He brings us our salvation. And sometimes it's the strength to keep going. Sometimes it's just the knowledge that He's still in control and the world is still in His hands. Whatever it is, he gives you the help that you're seeking. Often in the darkest night, we have this, this feeling that there is no hope, that there is no, there's no way out of the situation. Aiden is uh, three years old now, and I pick on him a lot. <laughs> He's a good boy. But he's at that age where he doesn't understand the concept of what's going to happen next. You know, he's still learning. And I'm, I'm at that in different things. But he, he'll have, we'll place the food in front of him for dinner. And he'll decide that he doesn't want the peas on his plate. How many of you like peas? I don't like peas. <laughs> so like yeah, they roll around, don't they? Well, you don't like peas. I, I'm not a big fan of peas. I like peas too, which is odd. But I don't, I don't really like peas. But if something's on his plate that he doesn't want, the end of the world is at. It is the darkest, deepest despair. There should be dramas written about it because there is no, there is no tomorrow. There is no hope. The sun will not rise again. The world is coming to an end. So he struggles with, with that and that understanding of, of what's happening. And, and we, we look at that and we say, well, man, he's acting like a child. And, and then if I really review my life and, and areas of my heart where I face things that I wasn't too happy about, I react the same way. Now, I may not start crying and pounding the table and and throw my plate upon the floor, but in my mind, I, I'm just like, oh, what's going to happen? There's no hope for this. I have this despair. 
When God speaks to you, He can erase that. Lamentations 3.26 says, It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. When God shows up, our problems are different, aren't they? They change a little bit. Our focus may change. He may give us the strength to continue. But it makes all the difference in the world to have the help from God that we're seeking. You think about the story of Lazarus. He was dead for four days. It says that he stank. They didn't have modern embalming the way we do when he's in a tomb. and He was dead for four days and I believe that King James said he stinketh. How many of you have ever stinketh before? <laughs> Not this way. Not this way. You have to think too that when he came out of the tomb, his clothes still smelled kind of bad, like he needed a bath. But Jesus raised him from the dead. There was a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, and she had totally sought help through all the doctors and all the means, and she didn't give up, and she kept going, and she touched Jesus, even when Jesus wasn't paying attention, and she was instantly healed. He brought exactly what she needed. One day made all the difference. You think of all of the miracles that happened in the Bible, all the encounters, and how just one brief instance... One answer from God changed everything. And it can change everything for you. Often we, we live in the sorrow and we, we live in that weakness and we live in that darkness and we forget that there's a new day coming. That there is a new day coming. That the sun is going to rise and God is going to answer your prayers. That there's a new day coming. And He's going to bring you the hope that you need. That there's a new day coming. And He's going to bring you the help that you need. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 12. It says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. And the day is almost here. It's an interesting thing about the author of this hymn, the Placide Chacot. He knew the story of Jesus' birth. But he didn't know Jesus. He looked at the verses, but he didn't have the relationship. Knowledge is not enough. Scripture tells us we have to confess and believe in our hearts that He is Lord in order to be saved. Jesus just coming to earth does not save everyone. He gives us the opportunity. He gives us the hope that we need. But we must act upon it. We must confess with our lips that He is Lord. We must pray and accept the fact that we need a Savior, that we need help, that we need Him to be our hope. And He will supply. We must... Seek Him patiently for our salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You have pulled so many of us out of that despair that You've given us hope for a new tomorrow. 
Lord, we thank you for that thrill of hope that it still exists in this world, that we can be saved, that we can be in relationship with you. And Lord, there's many of us here now that need salvation. Salvation from the circumstances in our life. Salvation from the difficult things that we're going through. Salvation from the unknown. So Lord, we ask for your help right now. We pray that you would continue to save us from our strife. You continue to save us from our weariness that we would have hope in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that by your Holy Spirit you would hold them, that you would speak to them through the truth of your word, that something would connect and they would seek salvation from you by simply saying, Lord, I need it. Help me. Lord, help us to realize that hope is something that can always be found. That help is something that can always be found. And that you bring us exactly what we need. God, help us when at different moments and different times we feel like it's not enough. Strengthen us. Even this day. I pray this in your name.